Citrus Series on deck for the Marlins. Facing off against the Rays, we're going to look ahead to that. Also, the big news that happened on Friday that I didn't get time to cover yesterday. Jesus Aguilar, DFA'd. Why now? Was it the right decision? I think it was. Equally, where could he sign? We'll also have a recap and a look back at this four-game Dodgers series. The Marlins dropped the final one on Bank Holiday Monday. And of course, it's Sean Barrett time, which means Sean Stats will be dug into as well on today's Locked On Marlins. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked on Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast with me, Peter Pratt. Do not forget to follow me, of course, on Twitter at Marlins underscore UK. Almost at 5,000 followers. It's trending in the right direction as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the pod. It's available free and available everywhere you get your pods. So if you're listening, hit subscribe too. Make sure that the episodes just automatically drop in there, ready to rock and roll. It's a daily pod, Monday to Friday. If you are watching on YouTube, of course, hit subscribe there too. And hello, hello and welcome to my lounge. (laughs) And welcome as well to Sean Barrett's lounge as well. Sean, how are we doing? I'm not too bad, Pete. I'm a bit all over the place. It's not Monday. It wasn't a weekend sweep. I'm not quite sure where we are right now. I feel you, mate. I feel you. And uh, it is, it's, you know, almost 10 o'clock p.m. UK time on a Tuesday. We are completely out of sync here because normally uh, we'd we'd be doing this on a Monday, but bank holiday got in the way. As I mentioned on yesterday's episode that I ended up dropping this morning because I ran out of time. Um, It was a bank holiday. It was a day with the family. It got boozy. There was more wine, no doubt about it. And so I'm feeling jaded today, I think is the, is a fair assessment. And as well, because of this fact, I've only just gotten back uh, home from from staying in Liverpool last night. I haven't really seen any baseball from yesterday. I saw Tony Gonsolin decided that he was scared of the Marlins' offense, so decided to uh, put himself on the IL uh, to protect his uh, his Cy Young candidacy potentially. Uh, but I didn't see any of yesterday's game. Another extras for the Marlins, but nevertheless, we've got a packed show, of course, guys, as we always have with Sean and. It's going to follow the similar path. We're going to look back to the Dodgers series. Key takeaways. Also, Sean stats. I'm, I know we'll have one, two, three of them queued up that we can kind of dig into in some of the numbers. And then also dig into some of the news as well. Big news to drop Friday after I did the Friday episode. Of course, Jesus Aguilar was DFA'd by the Marlins. I think that was big news. He's cleared waivers and now is free to sign with any team. So we'll wait and see where... Big Jesus ends up signing as well. That's going to be an interesting wrinkle. I personally believe uh, that he will land with an NL East team, and there's three of him, three of them to choose from. I think he could he could do a job on all three. Anyway, let's not start with Aguilar. Let's go back to the Dodgers series, Sean. It was a four game set, and uh, key takeaways for you from the from the four games uh, overall. I think yeah. I mean, we can't not talk about that series and not talk about Cy Young, can we? So Sandy was. I mean. That was one of the better pitching performances I've seen in in a long time. Mm. The, the game time alone was it was it was for a UK baseball fan. Any game that's under two and a half hours is is a godsend. Um, and he was just a, he was just a machine. He was absolutely plowing through them. And 
One stat that's sort of been playing on my mind ever since that, that big blow-up they had and how good the Dodgers are is is just how good they are even when you're pretty decent as well. So mm. the the Dodgers this year are 14 and 18, so just under 500. But still, when the opponent team pitch a quality start against them. Yeah. So a quality start is not good enough to beat the Dodgers day in and day out. You need mm. to be on top of your game. And that's what Sandy was doing. And with Gonsolin, I, I'm with you, Pete. I never thought that Gonsolin, a glorified uh, long man, as he's been described across Milan's Twitter, yes. it was never any competition. But I'm just glad that that discussion point can now stop. Mm-hmm. Sandy is the odds-on favourite to be the Cy Young winner, and he deserves to be the Cy Young winner. That's my biggest takeaway from from this series for sure. Yeah, it was mine too. I put it out there on the line on the record yesterday. Like that was my biggest takeaway. It's the main storyline for the Marlins right now. Can Sandy get this Cy Young locked up? And for me, that was, you know, it it just it ended all conversations then, particularly the knock-on news, because when I recorded yesterday, I didn't know that Gonsolin was going on to the IL, but effectively that will end, you know, that's two weeks on the IL plus a rehab plus whatever. Like, that's pretty much regular season over for Gonsolin now, 120-something innings. Um, okay, the ERA is going to look nice, but, you know, it, it's just not in Sandy's league, no doubt about it. And uh, I don't see that there is really another challenger. What was your take, though? Um, the fact that Fangraphs have... Carlos Rodon with a higher war than Sandy Alcantara this year. I mean, for me, that completely caught me off guard. Um, I know you're a war guy, and I know you're into, you know, you use fangrass probably daily as well. So that completely shocked me. The fact that Rodon in 50 or so innings less than Sandy was somehow had a higher war. How did this happen? What has gone on with Fangraph's uh, model there? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a stat guy and I I don't understand it either. I think <laughs> I think the main way I look at it, and it's something that's quite interesting to me, is the idea that um, traditional media um, and old heads in baseball talk about the the loss of the the, the ace of that guy that's going to go seven, eight, nine innings, and mm. and that's that's happened over years. You know, starting start his innings have been going down each year, and relieving innings, of course, therefore have been going up. Mm. Um, so for us to have what is essentially a unicorn in Sandy who's going, you know, seven, eight, nine, pretty much every single night. For for them, and let's be honest, they're the people that are going to be voting for this. It's the traditional guys. It's the old school guys. Yeah. If they don't vote for Sandy this year and they vote for a guy with 150, 160, I think you've got to get to 162 just to be qualified. But if they're, go, if they're going for a guy that's going five, six innings a night, what are they saying? They're 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 embracing that death of the starter that they, they so desire. Because yeah. if I'm a, a major league pitcher and I see that occur, I'm thinking, well, I don't need to go seven, eight, nine. I don't need to overwork my arm. I can mm. go five or six every night and win this side young, have high values in arbitration and get a big free agency contract. There is no way in my mind that old school minds look at this and go, Sandy is not the de facto side young. Yeah, I'm with you. The funny thing is as well, I do the the, the starter situation with the All-Star game. I, I always felt once that happens, and effectively Sandy was wronged there in some ways. I understand why it happened, but at the same time, Sandy was the deserving starter of the the All-Star game for the for the NL. And I always felt at that moment that come decision time for Cy, 
they would look to write and correct some of that that wronging at that point. The reality is it's not going to be close anyway, and so it doesn't matter. Has there ever been? I guess there probably has been. I'm, I'm asking these, this question and in, in, in a blind way because I don't know the answer and I don't know how it works, but has there ever been a unanimous sigh um, in terms of first place? There probably has um, at certain times. I don't really know um, how it's uh, you know how it all feeds in, but you know, let's assume. I mean, let's assume it's happened before. But I think Sandy will be close to that. Like you know, it, it's going to feel like it should be unanimous that he will be the first place on pretty much everyone's ballot. But I don't know. I feel like there was that Degrom year a few years back where he was like clearly miles ahead of everyone as well in like 2018 maybe or 17. I forget the year. Um, maybe that was one. I don't know. Anyway. My main takeaways, in case you guys haven't listened to the Monday episode, and firstly, go back and listen to it. It's a solo pod. My main takeaways were two things. Sean's already covered one. So the other one I'll just kind of add on there now, in case you haven't heard it, was the attendance on Saturday, the atmosphere, everything. All of the factors were in the Marlins' favor there in terms of getting bums on seats, Dodgers in town, Sandy going, later game on a Saturday, City Connects, Venezuelan Heritage Night. But that is... That is what we're looking for. If you build it, they will come. There are people in and around in South Florida, in Miami, that want to come and watch baseball. They do. They've shown it there on the Saturday. That's what the Marlins are aspiring to make more of a norm, not just a, a one-off, you know, opening day and the odd heritage night. The Marlins really need to try and crack that. And if they do, I think everything will flow from that. The players will play better. The opposition will maybe play worse. They'll have more money to spend, less jokes about attendances. All of this stuff, it all stems from getting the bums in the seats, and that starts from putting a quality and fun and entertaining product on the field. The Dodgers were in town. They are a quality and entertaining product, and so I think they had a, a lot to do with it. The Heritage Night, I guess, did too. Sandy Alcantara, he is an entertaining product. So all of these factors combined led to 25,000 in the ballpark. It was great to see. The atmosphere was great. And Sandy, with the complete game and the win, perfect. And I heard so many people saying it was their favorite Marlins game of the year and their best at best atmosphere they've had in the ballpark for some time. It's great to hear. So with that being said, um, actually, Sean, any further thoughts on that? And then we'll get, get into the ad and then cut away into uh, your stats segment. I mean, I'm always a fan of, of you know, big, exciting games where the Marlins draw. Uh, and uh, thankfully, that they, you know, the 25,000 people there that hopefully... Most of them were probably Dodger fans, but let's move on. Um, enjoyed the game. Uh, I think, yeah, any time that the Marlins can bring that electricity to to the to Miami, because we know we've we've talked to death about attendance and the idea that you need to bring a you need to bring a you know a, a something that someone wants to go and see. You know, this is a this is a party town. Miami is it's you know there's no such thing like that in the UK. That's for sure. Um, and, you, and you're vying, you know, you're vying for a lot of people's attention, but you've got a lot of competition. Um, and and Sandy, for me, in you know, at the moment, is one of those draws. He is, in my mind, one of the biggest draws, you know, sportingly wise in, in Miami. Um, you know, the Dolphins are always going to be king, I think, yeah. um, just because football is. But you know, thankfully, they, that crossover isn't too large. I think when. In the summer, when the Marlins are hot with Sandy on the mound, we could start seeing some sellout crowds, I think. And, and that's that's something that we just don't see 
we know full well that the the Marlins will sell out opening day, and yeah. then that's it. Um, yeah, so, exactly. So hopefully, if we can get a winning, you know, winning team on the field, put Sandy on the mound, that's when we could start seeing like the thirty plus thousands, and and that would be fantastic. No doubt, the offense has to match too. And uh, they've got a lot of work to do on that one. And there's going to be a lot of episodes uh, focused in on that in the coming months, no doubt about it. Um, guys, I'm proud and pleased to let you know this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. <laughs> so as you gear up for the fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. It sounds like the Marlins, to be honest with you. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and also for free. So you can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. So you then add your job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. They've then got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hopefully higher. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you to find candidates you want to talk to faster. And did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB. That is linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB to post your job. Yes, for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Sean Barrett, Sean Stats, what is what's queued up for us this week, bro? So we keep talking about the idea that the Marlins season is pretty much over and we're just looking for storylines. We're looking for things that are going into next year. Mm. And we've talked a few times about the day uh, and what we can expect from him. Uh, and, and I kind of want to continue that thread and continue to bemoan the fact that we're only going to see so many at-bats at the major league level. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I want to touch on this is because he started to heat up. He started to show some promise. Mm. So, I mean, it's just <laughs> get the shirts ready. It's a small sample size. <laughs> but over the last 18 days, nine extra base hits. You know, mm. he's starting to hit the ball really well. The the average is still, well, it's actually below 200, but we'll, we'll move past that very quickly yeah. um, because the Babbitt's low. Um, and, and that, again, we've discussed that before in the sense of he's a lefty and, and you know, that is always going to mean that, you know, if you're a pull-heavy guy, then you're going to struggle with, with average. But and, and that's kind of what we saw at the AAA level as well. But yeah. what he is showing to me, especially over this, this sample size, is he's also walking a lot. So he's walking 18% of the time, which is mm. absolutely massive. Um, and with that power stroke and that on-base stroke, he's actually currently good. I think it's 813 OPS at the moment. And he's slowly dragging that number up. So his, his number's just over 700. But if he can continue to play the way he's playing... He's going to drag by the end of this season, probably close to an 800 OPS. Um, and, and Marlins rookies that hit 800 are, are few and far between. Let me tell you that. No and doubt. the last couple of times that's occurred, they've been, you know, they've been in that Rookie of the Year voting. Um, and I just feel like if we'd seen more of him at the major league level, you know, we would have seen maybe. A, would have had a better understanding of what we're going to get next year. So over that sample size, it's 131 OPS plus, uh, not OPS plus, sorry, WRC plus. 
and that's actually dragged his major league year up to 104. So he's actually a slightly above average player at the major league level since he came up. Okay. Um, and I feel like he would sin more of that if he'd come up in June, come up in July. That's always hard for a team like the Miners to do, especially when he was hitting 200 in the Miners. But he's showing different things. He's showing on-base skills. He's showing a little bit of growing power. And these are all the kind of things that we heard when he got drafted. Is He's a guy that's got good plate appearances every time he's out there, and he'll grow into some power. I just feel like if we'd seen more of it this year, we could mm. be going into next year knowing he was a starter. Um, but if he can continue it, I think that I think that discussion point's going to start to grow. Talk to me about confidence levels you had having Blade now. Like looking ahead to next year, where are you at in kind of what the numbers are telling you, what your eyes have been telling you with him? Like, let's let's assume there's a there's a spot up for grabs and Blade's in the hunt. Like, let's say, you know, similar to Jesus Sanchez, it's kind of like a similar spot where he's kind of inked in to start. Let's even say it's center field. Like they just say, hey, do you know what? Blade is gonna be the starting center field next year. Um, and again, knowing what we've seen from Jesus this year, what's the confidence levels? One to ten, ten being like you're absolutely all in, and it, it's the the perfect decision, perfect player. Uh, one being it's it's Jesus Sanchez. It's an interesting discussion because I mean, Blade carries that pedigree, you know, mm, that, that high draft um, But unless he continue, unless he continues this, um, which I do hope, there is that situation where he will have shown less at the major league level than Jesus Sanchez did. Yeah. last year so there's that to factor in the defense i mean he's had his opportunities we spoke early early in the season about them trying to put him in center field in the minors and giving him those reps and he's he's played more in center field at the major league level than he has anywhere else mm. um and the numbers are they're not great they're not dreadful but I mean, it is that case of we dis- we discussed if he could be a slightly above average bat and be slightly average defensively. The Marlins, you take that on a minor league, well, a, a, a major league minimum contract. But does that give you a lot of excitement? I mean, that we're literally just carrying a position? Not really. Um, again, he's young. He's 24, 25, which is still young in baseball terms. I know we get... You know, we get used to seeing these 21, 22-year-old phenoms coming up, hitting out the gate and getting these $100 million contracts left, right and centre. But they are ultimately, the, you know, the the rarity. These don't happen every day. Most major league contract deals look like this. A guy that comes up young, struggles and makes an adjustment and then thrives. Yeah. We're, we're at that point, you know, he's come up, he might play well this you know, August, September mm. next year, like we saw with Jesus, there'll be adjustments, there'll be some film on him, and he'll need to make those adjustments. So yep. it is a case of we're at the we-just-don't-know stage. Um, and, and that's a bad answer, maybe, but that is the case of where we are. Incomplete. The uh, the assessment at this point is incomplete. Um, speaking of Jesus Sanchez, um, not to completely derail us right now, but... One of the things that uh, we spoke about last week with Joe Vasaro, he was calling out to say, you know, if Jesus Sanchez isn't recalled um, before the weekend series, then um, the, the the length of period then in AAA means that he will burn his option. And this final option, uh, we sit here on Tuesday, uh, the option's burned, baby. So burn, baby, burn on the option. Jesus Sanchez next year um, either has to stay on the, the roster for the full uh, the full year or be on the IL or 
be DFA'd um, if uh, if indeed he he's not going to be on the the active roster. So, what's Jesus Sanchez been doing at AAA? I did see the the shrimp uh, post in uh, a home run highlight very recently. Um, is it been has there been a return to form for Jesus, or is it the same struggles that he saw at the major league level? It's hard to say. So, we, we, me and you get regular updates on what Jesus Sanchez is doing uh, from our man Alan Witz, who is uh, a bigger fanboy of Jesus Sanchez than maybe I am of Cooper. Uh, he, is, he definitely him. is, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Jesus is, is, is warmed up a little bit. So, uh, over the last nine games, seven ninety OPS, uh, a one hundred five WRC plus, and just sixteen point seven Ks, which is probably the, the biggest thing you look at. Um, as far as a guy in the minors is, you know, if he's striking out there, then you know he's not going to be doing anything at the major league level. Again, yeah. nine games, small sample size. Uh, but every time I look at his stats and I think, oh, look, they don't look too bad, I then notice that uh, Astadio is down there with a 1,000 OPS plus. You've got that. to remember that this is AAA. Um, and AAA at this time of the year is probably a little bit thin. Weak. Thin. Yeah. <laughs> You you want you you've got all the guys that uh, are any good are probably at the major league level because of injuries and, and depth concerns, yeah. and you're keeping your high level stud prospects for the next couple of years in Double A because yeah. that's the better league ultimately. Um, so hitting well in Triple A is 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 good in the sense of you don't want to not be hitting well in Triple A, mm. but the numbers can be deceiving from time to time. What about Dela Cruz? What's uh, our boy DLC been doing down there? Yeah, much better. So um, he's been down there just for twelve days. So hitting three thirty three, a really nice two sixty seven OPS uh, ISO. Even sorry, so he's hitting for power down there. Okay, um, a massive one hundred and fifty five WRC plus. There's a four hundred BABIP in there, so you've got to call that out. He's yeah. getting a little bit lucky, but ultimately. If I had to choose, as as we look towards Thursday and expanding our rosters, if I'm if I'm bringing one of the two up, I'm bringing up Dela Cruz. It's an interesting topic, one that <clears throat> we probably haven't got a full amount of time to dig into today. But as the rosters expand, it if it's anyone, uh, and obviously Sanchez and Dela Cruz are, are in the anyone category, but if it was you offensively bringing up one dude. Where would you go with this right now? I mean, it could be one of those two. I guess it could be Dela Cruz, but is there anyone else that you'd like to see in advance ahead of those guys, basically, is the question? Um, not really. I think it would be Dela Cruz, and I think he'd bring up an arm as well, just because yeah. it's always nice to carry that extra arm. Um, and it'd probably be a guy that we've seen already this year. Yeah. There is a, is, it is a situation where right now there isn't too much in the way of reasons to bring up anyone exciting. No. Yeah. Let's see some more of Dela Cruz. Or oh, if it's Jesus Sanchez, it's Jesus Sanchez. Um, I do like, I mean, it might be yin when everyone else is yanging, but I do like the idea that Jesus Sanchez has got that fire under his bum now of your options are done. You know, yeah. next year you either show out and, and, and earn yourself a spot or, you know, you go through that DFA cycle that, you know, it's never good because you know you could be coming up, down, left, right, centre, flying across the country. There's no security blanket there. There isn't. There um, really isn't. He's walking the tightrope now, uh, Jesus Sanchez, with the Marlins anyway. Not with his career. I mean, in some ways, uh, if, obviously, if he can't hit the major league level, he's got a big problem. Um, it's not where he wanted to be. But 
his Marlins career now, he is walking the tightrope where, and the problem he also faces is, you know, Avi's not going anywhere. Soler, we assume, won't be going anywhere. So there's two of the four outfield spots, perhaps. I mean, there's maybe some thought to think maybe you just shift Soler into full-time DHing, and you know maybe that's the way they have to go, and they have to you know have Coop playing at first base more than than maybe he has done this year. I don't know. We'll wait and see on that. But you know, it's a crowded outfield already, and Bladé's showing as well. So Bladé's going to be tough competition for him. De La Cruz is showing they need to add more, you know, more above major above average major league hitters as well. So I mean, you know, we can't forget. It's not just going to be the old run it, run it back crew. They're going to need to upgrade this offense significantly as well. So opportunities, I think, could be could be really limited for Jesus Sanchez. And so my gut feel is here: the fact that they the fact that they waited this long, let him struggle for that long, then optioned him, and then haven't protected the option, says to me, I think they're out on Jesus Sanchez. I think they are. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it's a case of they've seen enough. They've seen enough. They, they yeah. gave him that opportunity that we're not going to go through this, you know, Brinson situation of mm. carrying on to try and, you know, beat a dead horse. He got his opportunity. He didn't make it work. You know, is it is it a short leash? Maybe. But that's where the Marlins are. We are in that sense of, like, if we are trying to win in the sandy window, yeah. we haven't got a leash. And if we cut bait on him too early and he goes somewhere else and figures it out, then fair play to him. Well yeah. done. You, you, you know... You got there, but the Marlins aren't in a position at the moment, in my eyes, to keep waiting on people to make that adjustment. No, completely agree. Um, I segued us away from uh, maybe other stats you had queued up. I think it's an interesting conversation when we start start to talk about Blade. The knock-on effects do link into Jesus and De La Cruz, I think, as well, because in effect, those three dudes, I think, are probably vying for maybe one spot on opening day roster in 23, perhaps. Again, we don't know what the offseason will bring. We don't know where Soler, Avi, and everything else will, will play out. But um, did you have anything else queued up for us stats-wise? If not, then uh, we'll dig into Jesus Aguilar. No, I think we've got some, we've got some stuff to move on to, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll skip bits, yeah. Okay, well, I, I enjoyed uh, that talking point, and it's been a talk track that I've been thinking about as well around Bloody. I really like what I've seen from him, just to kind of give my, I guess, broad summary uh, to date. I think the approach, the eye, all look good. He's got the power in the stick. We've seen that. Like he, he does hit for for power. He does remind me a lot of like a Michael Conforto type. I could definitely see him hitting in the three hole or something like, you know, birdie leading off, Jazz two, Blade three, and then the kind of real big boy power hitters kind of sitting in behind that. I could see that happening. Maybe even lower, and he's hitting like in the five six hole. I don't know, but for me, Blade's impressed me. Um, I've liked what I've seen, and uh, you know, we just wanted to continue. You know, and that's the point. We were feeling the same about Jesus Sanchez last year, and then the league adjusts to you. And it's like, can you then adjust to how the league adjusts to you? And then they'll try and adjust to you again. And so the cycle continues. Um, Jesus Aguilar, though, big news. Big news on Friday that Jesus was was DFA'd. Uh, the correspondent, obviously, was linked to your man, Coop, uh, back from the concussion IL. So, you know, you knew it was coming. Coop was coming back and whatnot, and you wait to see what happens. And, and Kim and the Marlins had put out there that they wanted to give a run for Lewin Diaz. Um, it, it's still been a little bit curious how they've handled Lewin Diaz in this time that he's had a run. Nevertheless, the knock-on effect, and I don't think it was a surprise to Jesus Aguilar, was that he was DFA'd. It, he got all the way pretty much through August before it happened. They couldn't move him for anything at the deadline, which I think was interesting again. 
Um, just your assessment of how this actually played out for, for Aguilar now with the Marlins. And then we'll kind of look back on some of his, uh, his, his fun moments with the club. I think a lot of what you just said would make sense. I mean, it is a case of it's big news because anytime you DFA, uh, you know, a long-term major league player, it's big news, but not surprising news. I mean, mm. Coop was coming back. I mean, the fact that Coop returned so quickly um, was a little bit of a surprise maybe, mm. uh, but they, they weren't going to send Lehman down because we need, again, we need to see him at the major league level and, and get that assessment and, you know, the team are going to pull the plug on him and, you know, that's a potential situation next year. Like, let's see enough of him to know that we've made the right decision. I don't think we'll ever get enough time because, as you said, they've mishandled Lehman, in, in in my opinion, and I think yours too. Me too. Uh, but, Aggie, I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is, you look at his stats for this season, you realise he's kind of skated this year because he's not been great. No, he's um, not. He's not been good. It's really not been good. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, the negative war. I mean, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with the numbers for him, but he's got a negative war this year. Has he? Oh, wow, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even know that. I mean, wow, Aggie with a negative war. That is insane. Uh, and when you factor in that he's earning $7.3 million this year, yeah. uh, you know, cast your mind back to when the miners acquired him. They got him because the Rays DFA'd him. You know, they yeah. didn't want to pay him the $2.5 or whatever it was that year. You know, it is that case of they got him for basically nothing, and and he's been okay. You know, you know, twenty twenty one was his best season for sure. Mm. Um, but the Marlins are in that predicament where you know he was going through his mid to late years in arbitration. Yep. They're spending a lot of money on him, and the war to dollar value just it never really made sense. And it's something that I'm surprised it only took me this long to work out. Because um, I think maybe just the smile and, and the way he was in the clubhouse, you kind of just forgive him. Yeah. Um, the numbers weren't too egregious, you know, they were okay. But the Marlins aren't a team that can pay $8 million per war, which is essentially what they did over the life of the contract. Um, you know, if they do that, they're going to be a 60 win team. And, <laughs> and look what we've seen the last couple of years. They've been a 60 win team. Yeah. Um, the, the Marlins have to work in the margins. They're like, could they have got the the negative war value that they got from Aggie from Lewin Diaz this year for the league minimum? Of course they could have done. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and saved themselves seven million. So it just seems strange to me that it took this long for them to see that. And it's just as surprising for me to see how much he skated. If you yeah. look at all the drama we've had this year, you look at all the slander that different players have got, Aggie never got it. Um, and That's I true. don't want to slander him on the on his way out the door, um, but because you know he's a, he's a nice guy and he's he, he had some good moments for the for the Marlins. But ultimately, it is one of those situations where you're not looking at it and going the Marlins are offensively worse with him gone now. It's crazy, isn't it? Because we look at you know the 2020 season, big part of that year, albeit obviously a shortened season. 2021, he was you know. He was right up there on in RBIs in you know in the NL in general in, in Major League Baseball perhaps him and Duvall. You remember this kind of weird situation where again they were terrible as a team, uh, but but Aggie and Duvall in terms of like counting stats were like way up there um, for RBI. I think that the, the two of them were both in the top five at one point. And you're looking back, you're the, hold hold on a minute. The Marlins are, are 20 games under 500. They're absolutely turgid. The offense is terrible. Okay, fast forward a year, we're still saying the same things. Um, but Aggie did perform. 
Um, and I think, you know, to to your point here, I think it's a really interesting one that Aggies never really faced the slander like other guys have when the drop-off from Aggie has been so stark. It really has. And, you know, when we kind of look at it now, he's, you know, OPS plus of, of 89, OPS itself of 674. You know, he's hit a few home runs there, you know, 15 home runs. Um, but, you know, go back a year, there was 22 home runs. The OPS was more like at 800. The year before, it was over 800. Um, so that's the kind of Aguilar we're expecting. It is really tailed off this year. And, you know, I would say it felt to me like the the joking, the, I don't know, it felt less this year than it did in the past. Like, it, he hasn't been as big a presence, I feel. And again, it kind of boils down to the kind of the clubhouse vibe that we've talked about multiple times that it's never felt right all along. Things have been amiss here in this clubhouse. Interesting that Miggy Rowe, I think, called it out saying that he was there, you know, his kind of lieutenant, so to speak, kind of trying to keep the guys in line or something in that kind of like language, which is interesting um, that that's where, how they feel they have to be. These, these guys, the leaders that they're there just trying to keep people in line. Like, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. Or conducive to a, a, a good worker relationship either that Miggy Rowe and Jesus Aguilar seem to have to be the the, the clubhouse disciplinarians. Um, I mean, I can't see Aguilar being a discipline. I mean, he's a pro though, Aguilar, right? When you hear him speak, he's absolutely a pro. One thing that was very interesting though as well, um, I think it was Jordan McPherson um, asked him straight after the news and he, he, he answered all the questions and took them well. One thing he was asked, though, was his assessment of the Marlins uh, at this point. <laughs> it was a very funny one. He basically just started scratching his head and saying, oh, boy, that's a tough question. <laughs> so if you haven't seen that, try and try and find that clip, if you've seen of Aguilar, being asked that directly and kind of giving literally, he, he was literally um, head scratching and saying it's a tough question, which it is. Like, it's hard to assess the Marlins right now. Five years in the build, one postseason appearance, but... The last two years, they've really just not carried on that that trajectory. And the same true for Aguilar. He goes on, Sean, where do you think he lands? Because he's cleared waivers now, so he's free to sign with any team he wishes. Um, I'm sure he'll be targeting one that will be um, making the postseason, obviously. So gut feel, is he gonna is he gonna stay in the NL or flip over to the AL? You you assume that a team are gonna pick him up. I mean, you, you assume so. Maybe well, that's the first question. Do you think he will get picked up? I'm not sure. I yeah, mean, he's been that bad. Yeah, I mean, do a do a playoff team, playoff caliber team want a guy that's you know can't defend his position very well, isn't hitting well this year? Mm. Do a team, you know, do a rebuilding team, do a do a low market team, take a punt on a guy that they don't have to pay this year, see what they can see from him. I don't see him playing a single playoff. At bat, play appearance, defensive okay. gift. I I just don't see it personally. Well, um, okay. I think he struggled this so bad this year that I just don't see a team you know clamoring to pick him up. And and if you're a playoff team and Aggie upgrades you, are you really a playoff team anyway? So I mean, it's a valid point again because it comes back. If you look at Aggie's numbers this year, then he shouldn't be picked up by anyone. Like he's been absolutely terrible. It was funny though um, after the deadline. I think it was anyway, after the deadline, he went on a little bit of a mini tear and hit a few homers uh, in back-to-back days. So he was like, 
the Marlins kept him. I, I think they were obviously actively trying to move him, but yeah, they obviously couldn't find anyone willing to. Maybe the other teams didn't want to you know, eat the money or whatever it was. I don't know, but it's probably a big part of it. But nevertheless, Aggie, in your in your opinion here, doesn't sign with anyone and doesn't play and have another at-bat in 22. I actually think he will get a chance somewhere, and I, I think it will be in the NL East. One of those three teams, I think, would come and, um, and do something. And the thing is, we don't know about injuries, right? We've still got a month of the year to go. Clearly, injuries will, will impact things. But I, I don't know. I, I look, for example, um, at the Phillies, where they – I feel like their, their depth is tested quickly outside of their, their main dudes. So it wouldn't shock me if the Phillies made a move. Also, the Mets. Like, the, the Mets is interesting. They went and traded for Darren Ruff, I think, at one point at the deadline – I'm not sure what his numbers have been like. I think he's a platoon guy. But, you know, the Mets definitely at certain points were like working out where's Dom Smith going to play, where's so-and-so playing. And it felt like there was maybe, there's maybe a few bench bats to have there. I don't know. So if it was me, Mets or Phillies, I think, could well make a move. And I'd probably lean towards the Phils. Um, but, you know, we'll wait and see. The Phils were at, at the deadline were, were DFing their, their own dudes. Obviously, Didi Gregorius was gone, so they kind of cleared the decks to get some of the young talent in there. Um, Sean, way over time. Way over time as normal. Um, on, a, on a Tuesday. We can't, you know, it doesn't matter the day. It's just me and you when we come together. The magic happens, mate, and uh, we go on for over for 30 minutes. And there's only one ad as well, so... <laughs> um, that is going to wrap us up, I think, unless there's any further thing. Actually, the Rays-Marlins start tonight, a two-game series. Um, and you've got Lozado going for the fish tonight. The tomorrow starter is TBD. Um, but the expectation, perhaps, is that Trevor Rogers makes his return. Um, I, I haven't seen that report anywhere. I've just kind of guessed and assumed. But I think the timeline sinks. And obviously, Trevor had a great rehab start last time out. Um, they obviously ended up going a bullpen game, the Marlins themselves, on that day, um, instead of a Brian Hoeing start, who has now also been options. So, for me, I think Trevor returns against the Rays. Um, I think that will be very intriguing. And the question will be is, is it the last rehab start, Trevor? Has something changed? Has he fixed anything? Or is it the same old Trevor? And then we're just back to that position of like, oh boy, like, you know, is he going to be in the rotation next year? Like, it's going to be those types of questions. So Trevor Rogers back. Do you, do you expect improvements from what we've seen this year? I think I think if he doesn't improve, if it's a continuation of what we've seen this year, and to be fair, the second half of last year as well, mm. um, it would be <clears throat> it would be concerning. Um, interestingly, as you said, the, the last rehab start, six innings, twelve strikeouts, pulled with a no hitter going. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. that creates art uh, for some people, but yeah. obviously 87 pitches, I think it was, that he pitched that night. Yeah. You know, it's nice to see him mowing through AAA. We've already mentioned earlier, yeah. AAA lineups at the moment are pretty dire. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you, you'd rather see him pitch well than not well. Um, so, yeah, against the Rays, you know, it's, they're, they're a good team. They're always a good team. They, yeah. they play the matchups well. Um, the lefty-righties for certain. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens with him, but um, having him back is is certainly a plus for the Marlins. I think no so. More, no more bullpen days for sure. Yeah, that'll be good. I must say, just to call out right now, I absolutely hate series against the Rays. I always do because they are so fundamentally sound and they just find ways to win. 
the games are always not great to watch. They're low scoring typically. Like you come away going, boy, oh boy, we got swept in a you know, 2-0 win by the Rays and it was you know 3-1 and 4-2 and the games were boring and nothing happened. But the Rays walk away with two wins and you go, what the hell happened there? Let's hope that the offense just finally, somehow this Marlins offense as we get into September, they find a way to click and just turn turn themselves back around because it's just been it's been such a prolonged sustained period of just ineffectiveness offensively that it's almost impossible to be this bad for this long in baseball like surely the luck god should kick in and they should start scoring more runs but anyway Lazardo going, Trevor Rogers, I think, will go. So two lefties going there. I think it's going to be some nice matchups. McClanahan going tonight for the Rays, so that will be great to see. I've not seen McClanahan pitch um, firsthand all year, so I'll be really interested to see what he's got. We know the Marlins have struggled against lefty pitchers, so McClanahan, if he gets rolling here, it could be a real tough day for this Marlins offense, I think. So, um, Sean, thank you so much, as always, for joining me on Lockdown Marlins on a Tuesday. Hope it felt okay for you. And, guys, we will be back. Uh, tomorrow, of course, it's it's a daily pod, so subscribe. Uh, the Wednesday episode is with one of the goats. Jeremy Taché is in the house tomorrow. So Jeremy Taché joining the show. Looking forward to that one, guys. It's going to be a fun, fun episode, no doubt about it, on tomorrow's Lockdown Marlins. But this is Tuesday's episode. Peter Pratt, Sean Barrett, signing out. Back tomorrow.